Well, good to be here and nice of ICES to open its doors for us on a Sunday, which I gather is not the normal. Also, I gather that Sunday Colombo wallas come out with reluctance <laughs> or they go away in the new highway that we have had opportunity to experience down south or up to the hills. So, very glad to host Kushi and myself be here to be speaking to you. Also because um, the topic being have we failed our democracies in the plural? Since democracy has just been rescued from a coup, a presidential coup here in Sri Lanka, no better time to be talking about this. Although had the coup succeeded, then perhaps it would have been even more important to be talking about this topic here in Colombo. I also like the framing of the question for this conversation because it does, firstly it does not pass judgment because what is democracy and what is striving for democracy is a forever process as Donald, did, Donald Trump would tell you. And now there is no exemplar anymore. For some of us in South Asia, India, the great democracy used to be the exemplar but under Narendra Modi, that too is not available. So just as with the spread of the worldwide web, social media, we are all having to develop our own protocols, coterminous with everybody else in the world. Likewise, I feel now there's no sense in trying to raise the value of our democracy by looking at other societies. It's a forever project that we each of us has to do. It's a forever project and uh, we're always in the middle of it. And also I like the framing because it does not point a finger at the politician, at whoever else, but mostly the politician, the parliamentarians for having failed our democracy. It points a finger to each of us. And if most of us here are in civil society, then it's important that we also understand our role in the failure of our democracies or the relative failure of our democracies. Because I think all failures around South Asia are relative. Let us say that they are all failures because there's no sense in claiming victory. At the same time, the spirit of the people, let us look at the country that at the mass level is most under distress, Pakistan, continuous. But the spirit of the Pakistani people is certainly something that is exemplary. And so it is almost senseless to say has Pakistani democracy failed, is Pakistan a failed state. If we focus on the people and their striving, and that is what matters. So, I like the framing, I like the fact that we are meeting here in Colombo and I would say coming from Kathmandu, you could say that before 1990, we had very little to share in terms of answering a question such as have we failed our democracies? Because to begin with, it was only in 1990 that Nepal became a democracy after a, a year and a half of experimentation in 1959-60, with 30 long years and then we achieved constitutional monarchy and parliamentary democracy which fit the pluralistic agenda, the pluralistic nature of Nepali society. But after that, what a roller coaster it has been. And because it has been a roller coaster, I feel that those of us who are from Nepal, from Kathmandu, in this room, have experiences now to share that can help us analyze the state of our democracies. 
I would say two decades ago or two and a half decades ago, I would not have the locus to be speaking on this topic. Why do we have the, uh, the locus now? And for now, I'm speaking only of Nepal as a person from Nepal. Although I would like to think of myself also as a South Asian from South Asia, and very much as much a citizen here as a citizen of Sri Lanka. But for now, speaking only of Nepal, what is it that we've gone through? Why is it that the people's experience in Nepal is now also to be valued? Because firstly, after 1990, democracy achieved relatively easily with King Birendra capitulating, particularly because of the, north, the, the, the momentum that democracy was picking up in Eastern Europe was also impacting the rest of us. And for various other factors, Nepal achieved democracy, constitutional monarchy. Then, for five years, it was a, already a roller coaster because the political parties had to understand the workings. They had only known opposition. They had not learned governance or how to remain in opposition as if you would a loyal opposition. Then, before you knew it, the one minor party which was marginalized in elections, decided that parliamentary democracy was not for it. And they decided to go underground and use Nepal's terrain and the changing demographics and modernization which made people feel more marginalized than they had even a decade earlier. The Maoists, they went underground and they destabilized our society uh, because they started introducing violence to the hills of Nepal that the villages of the hills of Nepal had never seen. There had been a lot of violence in the court, but not in the villages. The physical violence, I'm not talking for now of the structural violence. So, then the state responded with scorched earth strategy of its own. The people were in the pincers, a distressing time for teachers, for bureaucrats, for lay citizenry, for local government, local elected local government representatives. All of this, 10 years of war, I will not use euphemism conflict, 10 years of war. I will not call it civil war, but I will call it war. And in between what happened, we had this massive event, massively tragic event in Kathmandu where the 11th king of Nepal, starting with the founder, Prithvinarayan, the 11th king, Birender, and his family was massacred. Nine people murdered, and that was an earth-shaking and, and a shattering event for a new democracy where a mon constitutional monarchy was in place, and a monarchy which had connected Nepal's founding. Nepal is the oldest nation-state in South Asia, going back to the 1740s. So, a continuity of kingship which had converted into interventionist constitutional monarchy, to put it in one way. That clan was decimated. Then we got a constitutional, not a constitutional, a royal coup by Birendra's brother who took the crown, Yarendra. Then we got uh, the need, the Maoists were brought above ground. Nobody lost the war, quote-unquote, but the Maoists were on track to losing. But they were very fast-footed. They found themselves feet first 
the landed keepers into post-conflict era. Then we spent 10 full years in constitution writing, 10 years of conflict, war, and 10 years of what we call sankramental transition from Yudha to Sankraman. And thereafter, attempts at transitional justice, Sankraman Kali Nyaya, I feel, I think Sri Lanka and Nepal are the only two countries where at least the term is utilized. Elsewhere, even the term does not find use. So, finally, a constitution was drafted after two constitutional assemblies. And then came a blockade by a certain country whose name begins with I. Right? The rulers in New Delhi decided they didn't like what the Nepalese had gone and done, got themselves a constitution through a constitutional assembly, created an incredible barrage of propaganda, which meant that this constitution, with all its flaws, was a constitution that can be worked with, but it doesn't have a good international press because of this barrage of propaganda, uh, which is something we can go into later if there is time. Finally, we got a constitution, but the constitution as it is adopted, the very people who have been involved in adopting the constitution should now be taking Nepal on the path of constitutionalism to tackle the flaws, if they are where, as and when they are found, to give a sense to the populace that this country which has now been made federal, made quote-unquote secular, and then a republic, the monarchy gone. Many of us did not feel there was a need for federation. Many of us felt one could have kept kingship. But at the same time, this is something that has been adopted through a process that all of us were engaged in. And now that we have a constitution, the job is to raise the value of constitutionalism. And that remains the challenge of today. I felt that this is probably the best way I could introduce myself to you by way of the topic which is have we failed our democracy. Nepal's experience shows a country that was not colonized, that didn't have a middle class westernized intelligentsia that could bring in the values from the Renaissance and the Reformation to the present into the system because what we have is a western system. Yet the public seems to be resilient, seems to be perhaps stronger than civil society and is able to guide and challenge the politicians as required. So for now, as my colleague, the political scientist in the audience from Kathmandu, who should really be picking up this topic here, Ali Sharma, as he says that um, it's the Nepali people that have been rising to understand the pluralistic nature of their society, and it is they who will, I think, safeguard the constitutionalism that we need to now develop in the days ahead. Uh, more questions regarding status of democracy, if there is any interest in that, but I thought best way for me to introduce myself before this audience is to talk about Nepal. Thank you.